Cleared en route, episode 6. Hello everyone and welcome to Clear Down Route, the Canadian Aviation and Space Exploration Podcast, Episode 6. My name is Danny Vicar and joining me as always is my co-host, Chris Johnson. Hey, how's it going, Danny? Uh, it's going fairly well, Chris. We're getting uh, nice and cold here. I think winter's coming. Yeah, they got a bunch of snow down in the state, so no doubt it'll uh, make the journey up the border here pretty quickly. Yeah, well, f- from what I hear and from what I've been reading, uh, apparently by Friday they're supposed to be up in the double digits again, so... I don't think that snow is going to stay, but it's been doing some damage, that's for sure. Yeah, there's a number of people with their power out, and, and a lot of roads are closed off, so hopefully everybody gets through it and and pulls through for that warm weather. Yeah, it's crazy. It's not even Halloween yet. No, no, it's wild. Sometimes it comes early. Sometimes, you know, it'll be February before it snows, but never know. Exactly. Well, today we're going to be talking about some news, uh, talking about... A uh, virus that has hit the U.S. Predator and uh, Reaper drone fleet. Uh, so those UAVs, uh, a little bit tough there. Get some uh, viruses in them. <laughs> Talk about some issues with the F-35, um, at least as far as Canada goes. Some some more issues, I guess, uh, one won't have to say. Um, we had a couple of uh, tragic accidents. And there's a balloon airship that has gotten into space we'll talk about some upcoming events and uh, then we'll close off with some listener mail Hmm, sounds great Uh, so first in news uh, it seems Google Maps has uh, updated satellite imagery with uh, pictures from Oshkosh uh, 2011 EAA Air Venture 2011 have you had a chance to take a look at that Chris? Yeah, I took a quick look at it there when you sent me the link there. It's it's quite fascinating. There's just a ton of aircraft there. It's, it's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of people there camping like for the week. Um, and if you look, uh, I don't know if you looked a little bit further uh, south southeast rather uh, down at the um, seaplane base. There's a lot of aircraft there too. No, I missed that down in uh, Willow Harbor. Yeah, I missed that one. The part that kind of caught my eyes was along the the runway towards the north and how they had really, in some areas, grouped the airplanes together by by type or by, Mm -hmm. you know, fuselage style almost. Yeah. Um, Really, really stands out in the aerial view. Yeah, well, a a bunch of them um, actually arrived in formation like that. Um, There's an organization uh, called uh, Bonanzas to Oshkosh, and they fly Beechcraft Bonanzas down to Oshkosh, EAA Air Venture. Um, and they had something like somewhere between 150 to 200 aircraft in uh, this year participating. So they didn't all fly in a you know 100-plus aircraft formation <laughs> down there. Uh, but from what I understand, they came in three or four at a time. But still, I mean, 
it's that's a lot of aircraft. Yeah. No, it's it's nice, and then they've got obviously the the military jets and then a few helicopters that stand out there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you notice those uh, colored dots on the runway? Um, I I did. I was wondering it. It looked like it was overexposed in the photo, or I couldn't tell what was going on there. No, those were actually there uh, from what I understood from uh, the coverage uh, that uh, Plane Crazy Down Under did. Uh, by the way, they if if you want to get a feel for what it's like to be there they have uh, i think three or four episodes that they recorded while they were there this year they came up uh, all the way from australia all the way to um, oshkosh wisconsin and it is just really awesome so from what i understood from them is that's how you got your landing clearance um depending on the type of aircraft you were some aircraft obviously need a longer uh, have a longer landing roll but if you're in a small aircraft and uh, you have like four or five others behind you, you might be told, you know, land on the yellow dot or on the blue dot. So that's where you start your flare, basically. Oh. So that way they can get, so that way the controller can get another aircraft lined up behind you and still get the necessary separation. Yeah, very nice. Very yeah, nice. Very ingenious. I, I wouldn't have, you know, I, I wouldn't even have thought of that. Well, that's why you don't run an airport. Yes, so. I, I, I guess that's. I, let, let's make that the main reason why I'm not running an airport. <laughs> because you can't safely land multiple airplanes through a colored dot system. Indeed, indeed. Yes. Um, but yeah, it just it's crazy how many airplanes there are there. It it is. It's it looks like a lot of fun. I definitely now want to go there more than ever. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to start planning. See if we can. Make our way down even for like a weekend or something next year. Oh, that'd be great. So moving right, right along, seems a computer virus has hit the uh, U.S. UAV fl- fleet. I've got a, an article here from Ars Technica. Computer virus hits U.S. Predator and Reaper drone fleet. Uh, now this isn't a, a very malicious virus, or as far as they can tell, it's not malicious. Uh, it's just a keylogger. And it seems they've removed it several times, according to the Air Force. But it just keeps coming back. It's very resilient. Um, now, it is interesting to note it only hit one Air Force base, Creech Air Force Base, where uh, most of the uh, UAV missions are flown from. Uh, from what I understand, they can switch to other Air Force bases in, like if, if Creech ends up being infected beyond repair. Um, then they can switch to other places. So there is a redundant system there, but it's quite uh, quite interesting that they have this infection. Now, is there any indication in that why it might be Creech, or, or why just keyloggers, or have they looked into it? Have they released anything to that extent at all? Well, I'm, I'm sure they're looking into it. Um, they don't really know exactly why a keylogger uh, virus was put in there they don't think it was malicious or targeted towards the air force uh but apparently the way these the drones fly and the way the the missions are run is um you have these external hard drives where you have all your mission data and your um i guess it's hooked up to your id or somehow um and the pilots have these external hard drives you know you and i carry flash drives they carry full terabyte hard drives of data with them which are um for the mission and they figure it was connected to an outside computer to 
for flight planning or something, and then it was brought into the um, the Air Force Base, and that's how it ended up spreading across uh, both classified and the public's network they have there. So, hmm. well, I mean, that's uh, <clears throat> that's potentially quite an issue there that they've got. Yeah, well, I mean, for, first the video and uh, telemetry feeds were hacked, or they weren't really hacked. They, the people, all the people had to do was put up an antenna on the right frequency. They were able to read to 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 read the telemetry data and also view the video that was being sent down from the drones. Um, and there's pr- there's proof of this all over the internet from the BBC and things like that. Um, and now this, so it seems like they really need to be working on the security aspect of the UAV communication and, uh, I don't know, making them safer or something. Yeah, I guess we'll have to have to take a closer look at that. I mean, especially with the reliance on unmanned vehicles and, and kind of the rise of the drone over the last 10 years, you know? You want those things to be all safe, secure, and locked down. Yeah, I mean, I guess the one good thing that comes out of this is since they haven't been able to get rid of it, they can't really build Skynet yet. <laughs> Their systems aren't resilient enough. Um, so we'd be able to just infect Skynet with a little virus, maybe the I love you virus from the uh, 90s, and uh, <laughs> just get rid of them. Yeah, or that just means that Skynet comes out already sick and angry. Yeah, well, th- that too. Oh, well. But you definitely don't want something like a Trojan or something where uh, people can just get backdoor access and... Oh, you're not flying the UAV anymore. Joe Bob down the street is. Yeah, well, and, and I mean, this is, I mean, unrelated aviation, there is another virus going around uh, related to the Stuxnet virus that, that can target industrial controllers. So so it seems like in general, whether it's it's these drones or, or other systems, viruses and, and malicious software are now becoming, you know, from the realm of almost science fiction and, and what you would see in the movies to... You know, yeah, that power plant could be under attack from malicious code in the near future. So, I guess the drones are, are yet another frontier of that. Hopefully they get this all sorted out and uh, they make their systems more resilient because they're, they're, they're looking to, to bring UAVs in civil service. And I wouldn't feel very comfortable having UAVs in civil airspace when you can't guarantee that you're the one flying it. You're the one in control at all times. So, yeah. we'll have to see where this goes. Well, on to a, a different story here. We've got a story from the CBC. Satellites could fix F-35 radio woes in the high Arctic. Now, a couple, couple days ago, a story broke that the F-35s would be having radio problems in, in that when they ship, they wouldn't have radios that worked in the Arctic. This, this is, of course, an issue for fighters that are going to be on Arctic patrols. And what the issue is is that above about 60 degrees, or below 60 degrees if you're in the south, line of sight to equatorial satellites becomes slightly difficult. The, the aircraft and the satellite, the, the line of sight between them is so close to the horizon in the north that the amount of atmosphere it must go through, and occasionally hills and other things getting in the way. With that line of sight, it, it just makes communication too difficult. So, they're working on a, a solution, and one of the solutions put forward was by the Canadian Space Agency. And what they've put forward is two new satellites which would orbit in polar orbits and provide radio communications to the aircraft. Now, what's special about these orbits is that 
they spend a lot of time, they're highly elliptical, so they spend a lot of time over the particular pole that they're assigned, in this case the North Pole. And then the other half of the orbit is very close to the Earth, so they swing by very quickly and appear back over the north side. So what the Canadian Space Agency has proposed is two satellites, which is what would be needed for full coverage, at a cost of about $600 million. And they could be ready by 2017. Aside from being used for aviation communication, they could also be used for general communication in the north, internet or, or television service. So that's $600 million now on top of the price of the that we're already paying for the F-35. Yeah, so somewhere... You know, an extra nine or ten million dollars per unit aircraft, if if that was only for the jet communications. But with all the extra benefits, it would be hard to uh, assign a cost per plane. Yeah, I, I would expect the uh, the benefits to northern communities to be fairly minimal. Um, I don't think there'd be that many people up there that would hook up to these satellites. Well, I mean, the the thing to consider and the thing that you know, us down in the south often forget is that satellite or, or radio communications are one of the few ways to communicate up there. there. There's quite often not landlines or fiber optic lines laid between communities. That's exceedingly rare. And a few months ago, I forget the exact date, uh, there, there were communication satellite issues and there, there were communication outages in the north for two or three weeks, if I recall correctly. And and that had effects on everything from television service. There was telephone service was down for uh, days on end. Flights were canceled. Um, there was all all manner of havoc. So in general, whether the planes go or not, there's actually probably an argument that says, you know, let's let's put more bandwidth in the north because because they probably need it. Yeah, it just seems interesting that the F-35s would have these issues. The F-18s have no problems, right? So, Yeah, and I wasn't able, and unfortunately I'm not up to speed enough on the F-18s to know what the difference is. But there is some add-on communication or, or some additional piece of technology or different satellites being used. And, and I'm still trying to track that down, and I, I can you know, mention in, in future episodes. And there, there was even talk, or some light talk, of maybe you know actually taking the systems from the F-18s and putting them on the F-35s, so that you could just use that exact communication system. But the two points that I saw against that were that first of all, it it would involve an external pod from the F-18, uh, which is actually ex or internal on the F-35, but would still you know use up one hard point on on the plane. Um, and then the second one was that the satellites that the F-18 talked to may be the Iridium network, which is due to be retired late, mid, uh, early 2020s at the latest. Um, so, so even if you did go with the F-18s or the F-18 radio systems in the F-35, there, there'd probably still need to be some upgrades in the next 8 to 12 years anyways. So why not put up new, longer-lasting satellites? Fair enough. Just seems more cost, and I'm sure a lot of people aren't very happy right now. No, there's there's definitely you know questions of well, why do we need that? There's questions of do we need the F-35s? Could we get another jet? Is the F-35 the only jet? So many questions surrounding this, and uh, so many different opinions on on it that you know I, I everybody's got an opinion on the F-35 right now. 
Yeah, there's a 16-page long thread on Av Canada right now. So, oh, it's <laughs> it's it's active, and I mean, it's it's not just the radios. There's there's questions about the gravel runways and and how the stealth skins will be affected there. You know, do do the northern airfields have the facilities, have the hangar space to house these aircraft even? Um, given that the skin is fairly susceptible to weather, they do need to be housed indoor and uh, in, a, in a fairly controlled environment. Um, so just a, a wide range of questions. Um, but no doubt we do need to do something about the aircraft. We can't fly F-18s forever. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see at the end of all this what the final price tag is and what the final benefit is to uh, our Air Force. Indeed. So moving on to our uh, next article, uh, f- the feds approve a pedestrian tunnel to Billy Bishop Airport. Uh, it seems the federal government has f- has approved uh, removing a restriction uh, against building a bridge or a tunnel, rather, sorry, to uh, Toronto Island uh, for pedestrians to be able to get to the island and the airport. Yeah. Originally, I mean, a little bit of background here, the... Toronto Port Authority, which is the governing body of all of this, doesn't actually report to Toronto or the city or anything like that. It, like most of the other ports in Canada, are federal matters and and run by the federal government. So Toronto Port Authority is a crown corporation of sorts that reports to the government and in some degree to the public um, and decides on matters of, you know, what to do with our ports. So they had a rule previously that stated you couldn't put a bridge or a tunnel connection between the mainland and any part of the islands. Um, I don't know what the exact you know reasoning for that rule was, but that was the rule. And they petitioned the government to remove that rule in order to create this tunnel. And recently the government said, okay, rule gone. And so they're planning on building the tunnel. They're now searching for submissions, and they hope to have them picked by uh, early 2012. Do we have any idea of how long this tunnel will be? Um, I I don't know exactly. I think it's only probably about a few hundred feet. Um, the ferry ride is four to eight minutes, mm-hmm. so it's 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 not a significant length. Um, it's it's really just more an issue of there's no other way to get there right now than the ferry. Yeah, and ferry runs every fifteen minutes. It it creates bottlenecks, and you know a lot of times that people have to show up. And and for the booking agents, for the ticket desk, if everybody's showing up 150 people at a time and then nobody and then 150 people at a time, uh, it's a really, you know, inconsistent way to to work. You know, the main issue I have with this now, right, is, right? What's this? Zombies. Now they can just walk over to the island. That's, I mean, that's fair, but it's not that far anyway. Surely they would have gotten there eventually. Eventually, and, but at least he would have had some time to find somewhere well, else to go. I mean, I, I would just argue that you don't want to be on an island in the first place. You're really limiting your escape options. Yeah, but there's Probably an airport wanna... there, so well, get then, in the airplane and leave. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was the plan. Cares, but then who cares when the zombies show up? It's just oh, well, it's easier for them now. Yeah, that's true. And just to keep it in uh, line with the Halloween uh, theme that we got going. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, see... I, on the other hand, I, I look forward to this tunnel. Um, living downtown, I, I use the airport 